This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the British Columbia Chapter of the Directors Guild of Canada. Learn more about BC's stellar directors at www.directors.ca. That's www.directors.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash screen scene podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today, well, today's my birthday and the fall finale of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. And given the celebratory nature of these milestone events, it is fitting, fitting that today I am welcoming actor, producer, writer, director, activist, musical theater nerd, and icon, Ali Liebert, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I've wanted to get Ali into the studio for a long time. As Ali knows, if she scrolls back through her texts, it started in like March 2019, and here we are. October 19th, 2020. Um, and admittedly, today we're not in the studio uh, because hashtag 2020 and hashtag COVID, but I am all together over the moon to welcome Ali to the podcast via Zoom. Ali is nonstop and has been since long before her moving and nuanced portrayal as Betty on Bomb Girls elevated the character to queer icon status. In the last couple of years, Ali has appeared in all manner of indie, big budget, and network projects from Beverly Hills 90210 to Mech X4 to 10 Days in the Valley to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. She's also expanded into producer and director filmmaker territory, including Cooking with Love and Spotlight on Christmas and the deeply moving film for Crazy Apes, The Quieting, which stars friend of the podcast Sarah Canning in a queer identity story, Mind from Moments in Ali's Own Life. Sarah and other friend of the podcast, Gabrielle Rose, starred in Ali's feature-length directorial debut, Amish Abduction, for which Ali was recently nominated for a Big time, big deal award from the Directors Guild of Canada, which I actually got to break the news to her because I, I was like, congratulations, my text. You're like, oh my God, I, I didn't know about this. And there's more. There's so much more. We've heard on this very podcast about the impact that Ali's friendship and fearlessness and artistry and mentorship have had on num- numerous people in this community. She's also an activist and an advocate for queer youth. In the wake of Hallmark pulling an ad featuring a gay couple, Ali, who works for the network, used her platform to speak out. That's a truth that I see running through all of Ali's work, and in particular her work of the last couple of years, a pursuit of truth, both in the work she takes on and the work she puts out there. So today, Ali, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about truth, how we got here and where we're going. Ali Liebert, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. And thank you for wearing the world's cutest birthday hat. (laughs) thank you so much for having me that was quite an intro i'm like to bring the intro i'm gonna play that on mornings when i feel (laughs) when i feel blue but i I like 
I like your thesis statement. I oh. actually, did you know that Allison, which is actually my name, um, it means teller of truth. Really? Really? I yeah. Did, I didn't know that. Oh man, I wish I'd known that. Then I would have wrapped it all together. Anyway. No, you, did. <laughs> you did in such a great way. Oh, that's um, terrific. That's really cool. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so sorry it's taken so long. I love you. I love your podcast. Aww, I love you too. And honestly, like part of me has been like, oh man, I just, I want to get her in here. But then it's been like, oh, but she's going like out of town to star in this thing. Oh, she's going to direct this thing. Oh, like she's I, like, you're just, you're a whirlwind. But before we talk about all of that, before we talk about the truth of your work, I want to talk to you about the truth of this moment. Um, I have been beginning every interview during the pandemic. I call it the pandemic now, um, which is lame. I'm not going to do that anymore. During the pandemic, um, I, by asking the person I'm talking to how they're doing. So I ask you from my heart, Ali, how are you? Oh, wow. Well, I'm actually, uh, I'm pretty good. I, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm You're like, I don't know. Yeah, it takes me a little bit. Uh, it's the first time I've been off in a little while. I feel very lucky. I've been um, working the last couple months um, on Van Helsing and family law. And uh, so excited for family law. I am it's just like, be awesome. Yes. I forgot about family law. I should have included that. And Van Helsing, too. Oh my God. You're everywhere. The best thing about Ben, uh, um, wow, I haven't had enough coffee. I, would, I wish the viewers could see a giant cup of coffee, but um, I got to do a, the DGC has been working very hard to get a, a female director observer program up and running for many years and uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's too late now, but I'm the first one to be able to do it because I was already in the bubble for family law as an actor. Yeah. I was able to do the program as a director. So I've spent the last, I don't know, maybe six weeks uh, full-time stalking uh, an incredible director, uh, Matthias Herndl on, on family law. Oh. And so, yeah, he he's my new idol. He's incredible. Uh, just amazing. I learned so much. So I've been pulling director hours, uh, following him around and then some mornings having to, you know, do the acting and then go back to my director observer role. But it was such mm -hmm. an incredible, uh, experience. And we just finished on, uh, I think maybe uh, less than a week ago, we finished. So I'm still sort of in that post-show thaw moment. Yeah. So I'll be, I, you know, I may not be well-spoken today, but I'll be raw. Oh, How about you're that? I love raw. I love truth. You know, I mean, that, I, I have all these questions I was going to ask you, and there's like an order, but fuck it. Let's just have a conversation that like really, it's interesting that you're talking about, you know, that you were acting and then you're also like moving into director role. Like it makes me think about like, how do you see yourself? You know, are you like, what, what, where is your identity right now as far as being an artist? Are you more an actor? Do you feel like a director? Are you a director? Like, where are you a producer? Do you not know? 
That's a good question. Um, I journal about it. Uh, you do, yeah. I do. I actually, for probably, um, I think I was when I was going to the Canadian College of Performing Arts, my mom gave me the Artist's Way book. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, um, Julia Cameron has many books. And this is one I'm doing right now, Finding, Finding Water. And it's the art of perseverance. It's, it's really good. I recommend it. Highly recommend Julia Cameron. And, um, yeah, so I usually, if I'm, you know, not waking up at four or five in the morning, I'm doing my morning pages and reading a little bit from that book and and thinking about these sorts of questions that you just asked. I never really imagined my life would be where it is now where I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do both. And, um, I mean, they're so different and, and people sometimes ask me like, which do you like better acting or directing? And honestly, I, I just feel like they're so different. They're, they are completely different parts of me that, um, I have to access to do either. Um, you know, directing is still really, new. I've been doing it just for over two years and I absolutely love it. And can I just uh, inter can I interject though? Please. You are anytime. you are also really good at it too, you know? And and um to and it's not just because I'm like this like massive like Ali Liebert fan who's like, I everything you do I think is amazing. Um but you know you are you are also being like like you're hearing it from like you know from the DGC, the Directors Guild of Canada, like you're you're nominated for awards. Like people are are thirsty and hungry for the for that work. Like does does all of that recognition um, does that put pressure on you or does it validate you? Like what is all of those kind of you know the accolades and stuff for the work that you're doing, especially at the beginning of your directing journey? Uh, how does it impact you? I mean, it's it's definitely a lovely thing. I wouldn't say that it really, um, I mean, the DGC thing, yes, that was so funny. You're like, congratulations. I'm like, I have for what? Um, <laughs> I was actually sitting on the floor trying to, uh, you know, work out something. Um, when I was working with Matthias on Family Law, we were, uh, you know, in some glamorous, you know, situation as you know, showbiz folks often are sitting on a cold floor trying to uh, figure out something. Um, oh, it's the most glamorous line of work. It's really. the most glamorous. <laughs> um, but I mean, I just I am in love with filmmaking. I'm I didn't know if I would be good at directing, and I didn't know if I would like directing. I wondered if I would be a complete stress basket and hate it. And I absolutely love it. Like to me, getting in, sitting in my car at the end of the day after finishing my day directing is a high, like nothing I've ever felt. And um, I think it's, it's just so thrilling to be able to see you know, uh, like the eyelid movie to, to imagine a scene and collaborate and prep and work, you know, for weeks or months, sometimes figuring out what these moments and what these shots and everything and how it's going to come together and then actually seeing it 
and pulling it off is, um, it is, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. So, uh, and, and I mean, there are moments like that, of course, with acting, I still love acting. It's my first love. Like, I think I fell out of the womb, like tap dancing. I've always been a performer and everything I've learned you know, directing, I can bring with me, or everything I've learned acting, I bring with me into my directing career. So, uh, I mean, obviously it's completely complimentary, but I don't know, there's something about directing. I I do want to pursue that in a, a more, <sighs> aggressive is the wrong word, but uh, I guess... Why does it have to be the wrong word? I mean, I guess we have like negative connotations with yeah. aggressive, right? But like I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm now aggressively pursuing this podcasting thing and I'm trying yeah. to build a network and stuff. And, and it's like, it's, there's nothing wrong with like, you know, having that vision and just like giving yourself permission to persevere. Is that what the book is about? Is that, is it like unleashing, you know, that kind of like, yes, I'm going to pour all this passion. I'm going to go for it. And if I fall, fine, but I just, I need to do this. I need to do this. Yes. And, and it's, it's, it's about basically just how to, uh, stay motivated and, and stay sane and supported and inspired as an artist, because we all know there are so many valleys and peaks in a career as an artist, which I have. And so many of your listeners have felt those just complete times of despair and, mm. you know, having some type of a spiritual program um, that keeps you going throughout has, has really saved me. And um, I don't know if I'm making sense. You know what? I, I remember, I like no, I remember speaking to you. I think it was the day after you had delivered the final edit to crazy eights and you were so, raw tired. <laughs> tired did but i cry a little bit yes and it was cry. i think i cried too it was so emotional you know so i'm really curious about the kind of advice that that somebody like amanda you know has has given to you or or maybe you know like i know that um strange empire had a lot of uh had female directors women directors as well or somebody like ann wheeler you know what are they what what role is mentorship playing in your journey and what are these you know remarkable artists telling you you know about the road ahead Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, for me, I feel like mentorship has been such a huge, huge part of my journey and I've tried to reciprocate. Um, I've been a mentor. Um, I am right now in the BIPOC TV film, um, the new incentive in the program that's been launched. And, um, you know, Anne was a huge uh, support to me, especially for Amish abduction. Um, I, you know, went out to her house and, she, you know, I also shadowed her on, on Chesapeake Shores and, we're talking the iconic, I'm using that word a lot, but my God, we have Queen Allie Liebert here, but you know, Ann Wheeler is just oh. like, she was doing it before anybody else was doing it. And she was, she's like just such a, I use she's the word remarkable. Epic. That's my word. She is epic. Ann she's Wheeler so is epic. epic. And she's just written a book. I'm actually moderating uh, a talk for her in, oh, wow. in a few weeks. And she's written this book and I read an early draft of it and it's incredible. And it's a lot of tales from her beginning um, journey in her filmmaker days. And it's, it's an 
absolutely. Maybe I can get her on the podcast. Oh, you should. Release because I, I, I've her name comes up so often, and I just I, the impact that she's had on our community and on on people's careers. I mean, something like Gabrielle Rose, you know, like they've like the journey that they've taken together, and also their friendship. As, ugh. She's so epic. Oh my God, I love the work I do. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just celebrating. It's my birthday. I know. They're all so epic. (laughs) They're so epic. No, I mean, Anne was really encouraging, but she was also, you know, uh, very straightforward in me as a young uh, female actress, director, to really be prepared and to know... uh, what was going on and to not just show up and uh, wish for it to go well. And, you know, I, I really had sort of a, uh, well, I, I am so raw. I might as well just say it. I had like a kind of a breakdown um, in 2018 and I shared a bit about it on an Instagram post. Um, but basically I was in LA, um, you know, doing pilot season and I was just coming up to, uh, I guess a boiling point for me, um, as an actress and trying to make this LA thing work and it just was not working and I was incredibly frustrated and unhappy and and then I burned my face with a, my curling iron trying to be beautiful getting ready for an audition and I was like that's a wrap I'm I'm just I'm done and you know I I just I just packed up all my shit am I allowed to swear I packed up Oh, fuck yeah. We have a parental advisory explicit okay, on great. this podcast. No, feel okay, free. This is, your, this is your safe space for swear words. Okay, great. Yeah. But yeah, I just packed up all my shit and I drove, uh, I left LA and I, I just, you know, LA works for some people. For me, it makes me feel insane. And I, I just felt like I was hitting, just hitting a a wall personally and professionally. And I, you know, I had done it. I had done it for many, many years, this sort of pack up your life, drive down and audition, audition. And, you know, there, I have even worked down there and it just felt to me that something was missing. Mm -hmm. And I had been thinking about directing, you know, truthfully for years and years. And I can circle back to that later, but I had been thinking about it and it was in that moment, early 2018, when I packed up my stuff, I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm not going to make it in LA, I need to actually do this. I need to start directing and just make some time for it. And, and then I kind of quit acting. I, I didn't, I mean, I don't know if people care or follow, but I didn't act in it. I took a year off in 2018 and I just sort of recouped and watched a million videos on YouTube and I read books and I kind of did my own directing film school. And uh, then it was suggested to me to, you know, direct a final 
uh, acting project at, at the Vancouver Film School. And that was the first thing I've ever directed. And it was a four day shoot. And for the first time in, I would say years, I could feel my light and my agency and my passion for telling stories coming back. And God, I'm so glad you found that. I'm so glad you took that time to, to heal and to get powerful and to, you know, it's almost like instinct and also all the work you've been doing with the Julia Cameron books and everything, you know, kind of guided you, even though you weren't going to, you know, official uh, capital F, capital S film school, you know, you were still like creating something that totally worked for, worked for you. I mean, and don't get me wrong, there were months when I was, when I came back to Vancouver and I was so scared to put acting to the side and I was forcing myself to, you know, because there are so many, there are great projects going on and and I was sitting in my car outside of auditions crying. Like I was just so done. I was completely fried. I I just couldn't, everything, I mean, maybe this sounds completely self-centered, but I was like, I was just very done. And I think, I think the more, you know, I'm, the more I know myself, the more I'm, you know, and the more therapy I do, I can check in with my body about what, fe- what is yes and what is no. And if my body is literally shaking and I can't manage to go and audition, it's like, maybe I just need a little break. And then, and then at the end of 2018, through the complete faith and generosity of Jill Laplante at Real One. He gave me a chance to direct an MOW. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that being said, he'd seen me in a, a producer role uh, through Cooking With Love. So, I mean, we had a working relationship and that was a real turning point for me. And that movie was uh, the birth of me as a director. And it, I've, I've, I'm stuttering now because I'm so tired. That's a new thing that has only started since I've directing, started directing is stuttering when I'm tired. Um, but you but, can do it because you're directing. And honestly, we need to see more stuttering just in life. You can't <laughs> have people talk, uh, especially when they're so raw. You know, it's, I mean, this whole pursuit of true thing, it's just, it's, and it being the meaning of your name, like, my gosh, like you literally are the living embodiment of, what your name means. It's really incredible. So it must have been, was it this last Christmas, Ali? It must have been, was this like, because 2020 has been, you know, 49 months long. So I don't even know if it was late 2019. Um, and we have all come such a very long way. Uh, it was, yeah. It was 2020. So um, there was an ad that aired on Hallmark. It was from a jewelry company, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, it featured just happy couples, like doing happy couple things. And it also, it featured a, a gay couple getting married, kissing, exchanging rings, something. It was a jewelry company ad. But whatever it was, it was so adorable and, and pure, uh, but regardless, uh, there was an outcry from mm-hmm. some Hallmark viewers. And so Hallmark uh, pulled the ad and, um, and there was a growing outcry. It started and then after a certain point, more people were talking about it in the industry up here. Um, you know, people saying love is love and, and all the people who work for Hallmark saying that, but you're, you posted, notes 
you posted some notes. You wrote something on your phone and you posted on Twitter uh, that that spoke about your your pain and your heartbreak. You know, working for for a, a network that you know that 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 didn't see you. You know, and and the challenges. You know that and the the despair. And I remember seeing that and just thinking my God, like this is, this is, I can imagine just the bravery it took to, to tweet that out, you know, because it's you, you, this is, you work for them. Like this is one of your employers. And I think a lot of people over the years, uh, you know, including, you know, I mean, we, we've seen this with your dear friend, Rakia, right? Like who wrote that, that uh, dear Becky piece uh, yes. in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, you know, but people for a long time weren't, were, were only speaking that their truths in hushed voices and not in public because, you know, Hallmark is this massive employer in town, right? So I'd, I'd love to hear about, you know, what, what led you to speak your truth. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the consequences you know, that, that you were worried that it would have and that you were prepared to experience when you, when you tweeted that, because I'm sure you weighed all of it, you know, and what the reality has been. Yes. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, there, there was some fear involved um, when I was thinking of, of speaking out. And I guess it just, it, it mattered more to me that, um, you know, people who may follow me and uh, the queer people I've come to know over the internets. Um, I I think I was willing to let go of my employment with Hallmark in order to call attention to the fact that this um, was not okay, in my opinion. And, you know, I did have to reckon with the fact that they, you know, maybe would never hire me again. And I had to be okay with that. I just think, you know, it's 2020 and we have an opportunity and to show, to tell stories um, that reflect a more diverse, uh, you know, group of folks. Not everybody in the world is a white, straight couple. And And not everybody who creates these the, the work that Hallmark, you know, creates up here, you know, are, are cis white people, right? Well, absolutely. And there are so many folks who work for Hallmark who are queer. And, you know, I, I, I guess I just wrote the post as um, shining a spotlight. Like I, I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that this is not okay and we can do better. And you can't just say you're going to do better. You actually have to do better. And I can see small, you know, nudges in the right direction. Um, You know, Ricky is starring in a movie right now. She is. Yes, she is. She gets her own. It's a Christmas movie, right? It is. It's like, that's incredible. You know, um, should have happened many years ago. I mean, you know, we've both been working for Hallmark for um, a million years and Hallmark does employ so many folks in this town. And I think they have a responsibility to reflect the actual world. And so it, it does make me feel, uh, I guess, slightly encouraged that they are trying to be more inclusive. I think there's a long way to go. Um, I have yet to receive, you know, any, uh, 
you know, I, I haven't been employed by them since I wrote that. So yeah. I don't know. I do have a movie in development and there is, you know, uh, a queer couple in the film. They're not the leads. I, I would love to see that. I would love to see the leads be a queer couple, um, you know, a mixed couple. I mean, it would just be incredible. But I, I think when speaking out, you have to think of the greater community and sort of let go. I mean, I'm also in a position where I, I have enough work that if they decided to never work with me again, um, that would be okay. Yeah. What, did you have anybody in your life uh, either telling you not to post it, uh, telling you, um, or once you posted it saying you got to take that down or, or like what, what kind of response did you receive from, you know, our peers here in the film and TV community? Positive, positive feedback. No, a lot of people were like, wow, that's a brave thing to do. But to me, it didn't feel that brave. I think, you know, I'm an actress. I'm a, you know, a, a white actor who's had, um, a pretty great run at things. So for me, it, it didn't feel like a giant sacrifice. It felt like the right thing to do. So I, you know, I don't know if I'm being clear, but it, it, it just felt yes. to me, it was more important to just say, how could you, Hallmark, how could you let a hate group uh, dictate your um, what you do on your channel, thus erasing queer people, thus saying this is too offensive. A kiss between two women is so offensive that you need to pull it. That to me is, I mean, I, I did, I was very upset personally as a queer person when I saw that. Um, and I'm glad that they, they, there was a lot of, um, I'm glad that it caught fire in the media and people were like, no, no. I think no. you were part of part of it catching fire, especially up here, though, you know, um, because I think a lot of people saw that you'd done it, saw you posted it, and were like, okay, now I'm going to speak out. I mean, I'd speak out anyways, but I work for me, you know, like, yeah, I, totally. I, and I'm, I'm like, and it's like, it's really, I've, I've, I'm prepared for all the consequences because I can't live with the consequences of not. Um, I also, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. So that was at Christmas time, and then a couple months later we are at the crazy eights gala watching the quieting you know which is which was such a i am so like congratulations first of all that film that continues to go on an incredible journey and um i mean i've seen it a number of times and every time it's like an emotional gut punch you know but it, like is there is there a connection between like speaking out then and you know and kind of like holding on to that truth like publicly and then and then taking that and like, like, was it taking it and then putting it into your art as well? Like, is it like that kind of the impulse, the, the need to, I don't know, to speak to, to speak to people, to connect with people in that kind of way? Or am I, am I just imagining a kind of a thread? Because I mean, no, no, you are no, the thread. It's that you're the, you're the same person, right? I am the thread. You are the thread. You are the truth. The thread of truth. No. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, truthfully, uh, being a queer person and making Hallmark movies the last couple years, I had always had a plan of, I'm going to take my Hallmark money and I'm going to make my own personal queer films. Um, so it, that was always a plan, sort of uh, 
one for them and and one for for me for us you know what i mean so uh it it was always sort of um in part of part of my larger vision of one what i wanted to do with um my hallmark monies was to make queer films and that to me uh that to me always felt like a, a good thing to do with that money and uh yeah i mean zach lepofsky was like you, there's no reason you shouldn't apply for the crazy eights. And I, I had started, you know, thinking about the quieting in, um, you know, the fall of last year before crazy eights. And then crazy eights just provided the perfect opportunity to really um, dial it out. And yeah, because you got to, in order, like the, the different stages of the competition, because I've sat on the jury, the work that goes into, First, like to, you know, to be part of like the first like 200 and then, you know, the, they narrow it down and you have to produce like first, you know, all the marketing material, log lines, the, the script, the casting, the look, like you do all the work, you know. Oh, it's a lot of work. It's but so it, much work. But it, it was like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was just so cool. I, I, I truthfully really recommend um, anybody, you know, especially female or, you know, queer folks who how am I going to make my film? Uh, I mean, it is a lot of work, but I, I think the program is is really excellent. Yeah. And they'll never let you fail. Like if you make it to the top six, they've never in all of the years, they've never had a film not be completed. And, you know, I, I think this year it's going to be online, which will be a little different. I mean, it was really thrilling to have our big premiere with, you know, 1,700 people or however many people it was. And then the whole world shut down. So I feel really lucky, very, very lucky that... Um, yeah, it was towards the end of February of, of last year. And then like within a month, everything was shut down. I know. Yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question. I'm going to drink a little bit of coffee. You drink a little bit of coffee. That's the joy of the before noon the before noon episodes, we get we get a lot of truth here. You know what? Let's let's move on to some time travel then. And oh, okay. In, in the, so okay, so let me tell you the plan. We're gonna do some time travel. I I want to spend some time talking about Betty because Betty, uh, and then uh, we're gonna play some favorite things where. Hmm. Very complicated instructions. I ask you your favorite things and then you tell me them. Okay, so let's go back in time. First of all, you get to choose your time travel vehicle of choice. Mm. You can make your own or choose one of the, ma the many time travel vehicles that exist in popular culture. Could I choose a Pegasus? You have to choose a Pegasus now that you've put it out there. Um, amazing. Um, can the Pegasus be voiced by Nicole Oliver uh, because she played Princess Celestia on My, My Little Pony, Princess yes, Magic, which you are very much connected to. Um, okay, so we're on a Pegasus voiced by Nicole Oliver. <laughs> and we are flying, flying. I'm so in love with the age of nine right now. Mm. Um, because my daughter is nine. But, you know, any like anywhere grade four, five, six, I think that we are very a pure form of, of who we are as people at that age. Cause I am living okay. with a very pure form of a human being right now. Very passionate. So, so who were you? What kind of a kid were you? And what did you want to be when you grew up on our Pegasus? My hair's flying. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, truthfully, I already wanted to be an actress by then. Um, 
doctor, whatever you choose to say. Um, I truthfully wanted to be Barbara Streisand. Um, I, my mom's uh, oldest brother uh, is gay and we spent a lot of time at my uncle's, him and his partner's house, and there was always uh, Barbara Streisand, Liza Minnelli. So I grew up really idolizing these broads. And but what were you? So like, what? Like I grew up watching a lot of. I mean, we have that musical theater kind of background yes. in common. So like for me, for Barbara Streisand, it was Funny Girl. It was Funny Girl all the time. I love Funny Girl. <laughs> and Yentl. And, and Yentl. Yeah, and with Liza Minnelli, it was. Um, I mean like cabaret also and um obviously cabaret and then she did this movie called stepping out i think they filmed in uh in toronto and she was like this broadway star who came to like direct a community like sheila mccarthy is in it like it's a it's an all canadian cast and it was it was the best i mean i haven't i haven't watched it in a long long i'm gonna watch that in honor of you but yeah no it was yentl i'm yentl yeah I'm going to send you a photo of me competing in the Peony Youth Talent Search. Um, you know, when everybody, like literally my dad, you know, we, I think because my mom worked in the summers and I competed a couple times in the Peony Youth Talent Search mm-hmm. and we would come over to Vancouver from Duncan and my dad is like so not a, a show dad. He is yeah. not he's a stage father at all, <laughs> but I'm, Literally, have got the little, you know, cap on, and I, I'm like, Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you see me? And all the other kids are, like, singing, like, Britney Spears and, like, you know, pop stuff, and I'm, like, wailing away, doing Yentl, and I did not win. Um, Michael Bublé actually came back. I think he had won the year before I was there. Yeah. He came back, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's really... That, I mean, yeah, okay. So he won then? He won that year? He he had won the year before, and I think what they did is they brought back, you know, the previous year's winners or whatever. But anyways, I was so not close to winning. But how you competed in Vancouver. It's a travesty. It's a travesty. How, I'm sorry. How you competed in the big Vancouver show is you had to win, like, a little town. So, you know, I'm, like, 15. Um, there's a photo of me... Uh, singing I think something from Phantom of the Opera in the Duncan Mall and there's like a Walmart sign behind me and I love like that. on a little wooden stage in a park in Shamanis and oh wow I mean but can I, okay so you've, you've mentioned Duncan a couple of times so despite yeah. your your visit to your uncle's house and you know your, your time on the peony on the peony stage singing Yentl which Honestly, like I, I, I want to protest. Like I don't protest a lot of award things, but you should have won. I know you should have won. Even just choosing, like, <laughs> you should have won. But you know, like what, like were were you around in Duncan? Like around creative people? Like what did what did your, the kids at school think about about you know you wanting to perform and you loving Babwa and oh my god and Liza Min- Liza Minnelli in that video of her singing with her mom, which is the best. And honestly. It's all, it's just, oh yeah, I mean, uh, my mom was so awesome. I mean, she really did um, drive me around to anything that I wanted to be a part of. I mean, I I was very, well, what's interesting is I didn't, we didn't know anybody in, in, 
you know, the film industry or anything like that. I mean, there's nobody in my family that's, you know, anything really to do with the performing arts. I just, I don't know where it came from. It just came through me. And I truthfully thought I wanted to move to New York and try and be on Broadway. I mean, I went to musical theater school mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't want to brag. I'm a pretty good singer. I'm an I'm an enthusiastic dancer, but I wasn't a dancer dancer. So that was always sort of a bit of a problem. I was in ballet when I was about five and I got asked to leave because I was so aggressive and disruptive. <laughs> um, so wait, hold on. I just got to say as a, an unofficial therapist today, cause I don't know, I, I said so and I'm wearing my sweater. You can do um, whatever you want. It's your yeah. birthday. But it is my birthday, so I'm a therapist today. I find it interesting that um, be earlier in our conversation, you kind of like were reluctant to use the word aggressive mm. uh, because of like connotations around it. And just now you said that you were asked to leave your ballet class when you were five, which should not have happened because you're aggressive and disruptive. So I'm just like, I'm just kind wow. of making connections here. That is a great connection. Maybe the whole purpose of today's conversation is for me and other young women to claim you know passion and and aggression and enthusiasm towards being whatever they want be disruptive be disruptive you know be be nasty be aggressive yeah nasty nasty woman so i would go around and i i think i found ballet a bit slow Mm. um and so i would grab the other little girls little um we had these sort of i don't know what you call them my brain is not working tutus can you see what i'm doing no like a little shawl like like a chiffon scarf yes yes and i remember i do remember this we had to sort of prance around in a circle mm-hmm. and I wish your listeners could see it. I'm really acting it out. I'm, I'm participating. I'm in the circle too. <laughs> and I, I remember being like, this is so slow. Let's like fuck shit up. And so I grabbed everybody's and was like, Wah! and I was like trying to get all the little girls to just like break out and like bust a move. And I think it was after that class that the ballet teacher was like, perhaps Allison should join a sports sport team or do something like that. So I didn't dance for about 10 years. And, and yet then- you had the passion. Maybe ballet wasn't for you, but maybe like, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about my sister's ballet school was be like ballet, jazz, modern, <laughs> musical theater. Like those were the kind of the areas of study. There's more now, but you know, you could have, but just to be yeah. like, no, you can't dance. Alison can't dance. I know it was harsh. And then yeah. when I, I, I did, when I was sort of a teenager, kind of try and get back into it. And, and that was okay. I'm more of a, I am the very, I think I'm a good dancer. And if anyone has seen me dance, they'll know that that's true. I dance with passion. I just, I don't like being told what to do, which is great for directing because, because it's so much nicer. You actually (laughs) don't have to be bossed around all day. Um, You get to, you know, you get to be, I think I've always, I've always had a bit of a, a bossy streak. So I think, um, this new path might work really well. I think, but I think, okay, I want to sit on this for a minute and then we're going to talk about Betty. I just, I feel like there's, 
a lot of how women see, like how we see ourselves as women is through this, like a misogynistic gaze. It's almost like we have this like internalized, you know, so where there are qualities that, that men display, you know, where they're not called bossy, but they're called leaders, you know, they're not, you know, and so like, I feel like we need to embrace the bossiness, the aggression, you know, and really hold it up and to be like, no, this is what we're actually aspiring for and not see it through that misogynistic gaze and yes. see it more like, yeah. you know what? No, like we're, we are, we're leaders, we're disruptors and we can and should occupy this space in that way. Absolutely. I'm so wise I, I, now I, that I, I'm 41. I agree with you. I, I also think that, I also think that I have my, my perception of these types, my perception of me taking up space in that way, it's, wow, that was the longest pause, maybe. (laughs) No, I love it. No, that was, that was a pregnant pause. No, I've learned to sit with, sit with pauses. I think the years of being an actress and having to feel like I have to look and act a certain way in order to be chosen mostly by men and be pleasing and look pleasing and act pleasing. It uh, is something that I am uh, aware of and consciously breaking out of. Um, This is why I like getting older. This is why I like directing. This is why I like, um, having more options for myself that don't include waiting for mostly men to choose if I'm worthy enough to play this part. And I think that that anger against the misogyny in casting in the film industry and the way women are portrayed in media was part of the eruption and frustration that thankfully propelled me into action to be a part of having the female lens, um, you know, my lens on telling stories. Uh, I think, I think, you know, grieving all those years of just trying to force myself to, to be a certain way in order to eat an important, you know, to be employed and do what I love it. It, you're, you're exactly right. And I, I catch myself too. um, I catch myself uh, minimizing and trying not to take up space. And I think that's why being a director has really pushed me in a very positive way to uh, be the person I think I am meant to be. I don't know if that was a complete sentence, but... It was beautiful. It was perfect. Don't change a thing. Okay, great. (laughs) So when when was the first time you felt fully engaged in a role like you were truly doing what you should be doing as an actor um hmm. that's a great question i like to have like one maybe two (laughs) (laughs) um i mean kind of around the time I think when I was 30 that there seemed to be just sort of a handful of roles that all sort of had um, such an impact on me. I would say Betty and Bomb Girls. I would say being a part of Sikian Lee's uh, feature film debut in Year of the Carnivore was also uh, very meaningful and 
uh, Laurent Contet's uh, Foxfire. Um, that was a very, uh, that couple years. And, you know, we also made After Party during that time, you know, with my old sociable film pals, Nick Carella and Michelle Ouellette. Um, I just feel like around then, like around 30 was a real turning point. I would say my 20s were um, a slog of secretaries and waitresses and bartenders, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and there were some great moments in there, but I feel, you know, it was around that that time. I don't know what year that was. I'm bad at math, but there were... There were sometimes, um, there was something, there was something in that couple, couple years where, where things finally started, um, to click for me in terms of people trusting me to play, uh, roles that had, um, more substance. Substance, yeah. Let's talk about Betty. Betty McRae. Betty McRae. Bomb Girls. You, you want to a big deal award for playing for playing Betty from the Canadian Screen Awards. And, and also there are, there are people who to this day, like they're, they remain just dedicated diehard fans. You know, they, they credit Betty with a lot, you know, because I mean, we've come a long way even in just the last few years, as far as, you know, representation on television. Right. And so in a lot of ways, especially on Canadian TV, um, although it was seen all over the world, but it was, you filmed in Toronto, right? Like it was yes. uh, Betty, Bomb Girls and Betty, that was a, a big deal. So um, talk to me about some of the, like what were some of the, the joys and the challenges of, of giving life to a character like Betty? Yeah. Or giving life to Betty? I mean, Betty, this sounds so cheesy, but Betty and I a- love cheese, it's my birthday, I want some cheese. Betty in a way gave life to me. I didn't know that I was queer and, but now looking back, there were many, uh, you know, signs that- um, Betty gave you truth. Betty helped you find your truth. Yeah, I mean, the first time I read the script, truthfully, I started bawling, you know, and Betty was very, um, you know, a closeted lesbian in the 1940s and, it was so beautiful. It was so well-written and I just got her right away. I didn't know why. Um, it took a few more years for me to figure out why I just understood her. But I, I just had this feeling that um, I was her and she was me. And, you know, it was quite an audition period. I mean, there were, I think maybe three, three auditions over a few months. I mean, I was insane. I wanted this part more than anything. And I couldn't believe it when I actually got it. I mean, it, it really changed my life in, in, on a personal and professional level. And I mean, it was a dream. Everybody working on that show loved it. It was very, very special. Yeah. Um, Adrian Mitchell or Michael McLennan and, you know, most of the girls and I are still friends. Like that is just crazy. I mean, and now I know how rare that is to, you know, I've had so many excellent working relationships with folks and you're, you always say like, Oh, we'll be friends. And there's just, isn't enough time in the day to be friends with everyone you meet over this crazy career. But, um, 
yeah, the bomb girls, uh, we have really stuck together over, you know, it was almost how many years ago, eight years ago. Um, I mean, not when it ended, but when it started, I think. Yeah. Cause I was waitressing. Uh, I was still waitressing at that time. I was 30 and I was, you know, working as a casting assistant and waitressing and where did you, where did you waitress? Oh, everywhere. Oh my God. I've had so many part-time jobs. I, I, I was, I think working at the time at the twisted fork. Um, okay. Which is a really excellent restaurant. If, if you've never been there, I think they just moved to Gastown, but, um, you also work for Starbucks, right? You were a barista at some point as well. Oh yeah. When I first moved to Vancouver, I, I worked at a, a Starbucks serving Michael Eklund and Ben Cotton. That's right. Around the corner from Clark and Page Casting. And I used to uh, try and, oh man, I was so thirsty. I would just be like, oh, like I, you know, all those like embarrassing <laughs> things you do when you're 21 and you're like, wow, these are people in the film industry and I'm, you know, a Starbucks girl. Uh, I don't know why I keep using this Liza Minnelli voice, but, um, no, I really like it a lot, Allie. I really do. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question at all, but it, um, Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's why I love Twitter and, and Instagram is, is folks reach out. And I mean, it is so, so meaningful to me that there were a lot of people who, you know, played some of Betty for their family members and said, I, I'm like Betty and they helped Betty to come out. And obviously, you know, it's, it, it depends what your situation is. It's not safe for um, everybody to come out, but knowing that, you know, whatever small part I had in, in bringing comfort or belonging to folks, uh, you know, and obviously the whole team, the writing and the direction and everything, I just think it was a truly uh, beautiful show. I was very sad that it only went two seasons, um, but it lives on. You know, it, it truly is one of my top five, maybe even top three work experiences. Love to hear it. I love to hear it. You know, what? What? one of the things I think that Bomb Girls did and that Betty did in particular was that it kind of alerted us to the fact that we had not been hearing queer stories from the 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. so what did you, what did you learn or what, what did you, what did you hear, you know, about the experiences of, you know, women who, who were, you know, real life bomb girls during that time? Like did, did any, did any anecdotes or, or any, any, you know, personal stories that's happened to my grandmother or, or whatever, like come across your, come into view for you? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, I think with any story that's universal, no matter what time period it's set in is that, um, people can identify with it. And, you know, there was a particular event that we went to with some veterans and we met some real life bomb girls. Um, they flew us to Ottawa and we had, uh, I think a screening of the first couple episodes for, some of these, um, you know, fantastic folks that had served and been a part of the war. And I remember this one awesome old lady came up to me and she said, I, it was just like that. Like I was, I was like, you know, when there was really, 
it wasn't so much in the words, but, but you could see that there was, there was a little twinkle of her kind of telling me that she had, you know, had some Betty feels and, and, you know, I, I didn't truthfully hear if, you know, she ever came out or ever, you know, was with a woman or, or got to live that life. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it was really beautiful the way that, that, that show really did highlight, you know, what it was like to, you know, be queer in the 1940s and, and how it really was life and death. I mean, sadly, there, <sighs> there are parts of this world where we are, you know, stuck in the 40s. So, I mean. Yeah, it's not safe. It's not no. safe and it's not safe in households in in our city even. I mean there's you know it's Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's you know, I I I I think it was a really um positive show in terms of representation and there's so much more representation and I, you know, want to as like a writer director continue um, you know, shining a light on on all different types of stories, not just queer stories, but stories that give voice to, you know, voices, I keep saying voice, 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 voices that we've, we. Voice, truth, it's all the same, right? Haven't seen. Yeah. Because it matters. Because what we see on screen matters. You don't know how it can touch somebody. I mean, as you said, people were playing, playing Betty to their families. I mean, that's, that's huge. That shows the importance. Of, of seeing seeing people that look like your life, you know, um, can help you feel a lot less alone as well. Absolutely. Um, you ready to play some favorite things? Okay, great. Let's do it. Okay, so um, the rule, the big rule for, oh, whoa, she just, she's just down the whole rest of her, her mug of coffee. You are, you're amped. Okay, so the big rule of, is don't really, don't think, just, just, oh, now we're spraying something on our face. Wow, you're really, you're prepping. She's prepping. No, she's getting up, she's doing jumping jacks. Okay, so the rule with favorite things is just to answer from your gut, don't think about it. Ali Lieber, you ready to play favorite things? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, oh hell yeah. Well, that's a challenge. All right. Favorite locally shot series that you have yet to appear on? <laughs> It's too late now, but I was never on Supernatural, ever. How does that even mathematically work out? How were you not on Supernatural? Supernatural, how did you not have Ali Liebert? What? No. It ran for 92 seasons. How were you not on it? Never. Never. I auditioned 400 times. Um, (laughs) It's too late now. I think it's over. You would have been an incredible demon or something. Like, oh, oh. Missed opportunity. All right. Favorite cartoon character of all time? Hmm. What about Lady and the Tramp? Yeah, that works. Uh, that's the worst answer. I actually, I, th- I thought I knew what you were going to say. What? Like my I little thought, No, I thought it was going to be a toss-up between um, Ariel from Little Mermaid, because she does oh. have the best song, or any one of the characters from Gem and the Holograms. This is the last question. Um, I've learned recently that it is the most, I think, revealing question. Oh, no. What's your favorite decade? 
Wow. Right? That cuts to the, to the core. It kind of does though. You know, it's, I mean, it, it could be a past decade that like is before, before you were born or, or the favorite decade that you've. That's a really interesting question because it's like, well, what decade would I like to live in? I mean, obviously there's, there's, you know, rights that yeah that women didn't have women you know that have, we have people now have, people of color didn't have you Absolutely. know and yet there's also the culture and yet you know even all of those decades there was still like the resistance there were still people living their lives there was still Absolutely. like you know and and the reason that we are where we are now is because of the work that was done then so i i mean i sometimes i'm like do i want to live in the 20s I mean, not these 20s, but the 1920s, you know, because yes. I've been thinking about like, I really love the style of that period. I really love, um, you know, the, all the different social, the civil rights movements that were going on in the 20s. Um, and plus they had just gone through a war and the Spanish flu and they were just having the best time living it up and dancing all night long, you know, and they all had great haircuts. And Oh my God. I, I yeah. recently just did a, I know this isn't like a quick answer, but I, I, took a Zoom acting class with Andrew McElroy, who's also one of my mentors and slash best human, smartest, most generous, gorgeous people. Uh, I took his Zoom acting class um, over quarantine and we were working on a script from the 20s. So uh, actually Canning was in that class too. And we, I learned so much about that time period and it seemed uh, you know especially sort of that you know babylon hollywood uh era and you know the transition between you know the the silent films to the talkies and 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 researching all that time period i thought it was pretty fascinating um but I would still say the 40s just because I'm basic and I loved bomb girls and I just loved those clothes. And this is just like, you know, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to say the 40s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to overthink it. <laughs> Honestly, I got to say, this conversation has been the best birthday present ever i love it i it is has unfolded exactly as i would hoped it would which was a conversation and so ali liebert icon epic icon purveyor of truth and justice i've just made you a superhero but i pictured you as a superhero but you have wearing tap shoes um thank you so much for your time today where can our our listeners find you follow you celebrate you on the social meds on the social meds, it's just my name, just at Allie Liebert. It's not just your name. It's your name. I know. You're really catching all of these. I'm going to have to tell my therapist. You know, I'm not usually like this. I don't know. Like, because I... You were feeling I, birthday fire. I am. Like, because I, I, I often... Like, I have so up. much... Don't apologize. You know, I do. I have a lot of imposter syndrome. I'm like, no, you know what? Like, this is, this is, this is our, like, that's your life and this is my life. And we shouldn't have to apologize for, for wanting more, for being hungry, for having fire, you know, for, well, I hope this feeling lasts. I am going to listen to this episode and my personal motivational speeches, which apparently I I have, you know, when I'm feeling a bit low. You are correct. You are correct. I love hearing it. I love hearing it. (laughs) 
You are correct. And my brainwashing, you know, hopefully, I mean, that's how we change, right? Is we become aware of, of our, of our language and, and how, you know, patriarchy has brainwashed us to feel like we are less than we are. So it's not just Ali Liebert. You can find me at Ali Liebert. Okay. Mm. How about that? And you can also follow here, here. Okay. Hear me. Here's me, you know, taking your advice. You can also follow, um, my short film, the quieting film. Mm-hmm. It's also connected to my socials and that would be great. Yeah. Please do yeah. that. Um, and I will have links to all of Ali's uh, social media accounts, as well as to, because um, clearly we've spoken before today, all the different interviews and articles uh, that, that we've done together before over, over the years uh, on, this, um, on the footnotes page for this episode. So, and also I'll include links to, um, to uh, various clips of Barbara Streisand singing Yentl or, you know. <laughs> I'm going to send you a photo of me at the Peony Youth Talent Search because that is... Amazing. Can I share it on the uh, Wyvera Screen Scene Instagram account? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to also share a photo uh, of me and Allie and Amanda. I have a few of them from from the Crazy Eights Gala, which was such a fun night uh, from the before before times, before COVID. Allie Liebert, you will come back, right? Uh, Yes. I, I think you're amazing, and I every 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 person in this city values what you do, and you're such an advocate and smart, awesome, badass woman. And I wish you the happiest of birthdays, and thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much, and thank you to our listeners who have been with us for all of these seasons and. Almost like, I think we're almost at 100. Thank you for putting your birthday hat back on, Allie. Um, For almost 140 episodes now, we're going to take a a couple weeks off, uh, but then we will be back with all new episodes. Um, You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or YVRScreenScene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVRScreenScene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me. Sabrina Roddy Mera Firminger. And it, I used to say I'm the only one to blame, but I'm not saying that anymore. I, no. No, it's me. My full name, Sabrina Roddy Mera Firminger. And it is edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger for technical support. Yes, this is a family business. And also to Dane Devillet for the original music. Wybear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Fly Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This week, the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by the BC branch of the Directors Guild of Canada. And we are so lucky to once again be joined by none other than award-winning director Zach Lepofsky. Zach, you're back! Well, I never left. I've just been hiding (laughs) under the desk through all those other episodes. Oh, that was you! Yeah, I'm such a fan, I just figured, why download the episodes? Why not just hang out here? That is one way to do it. Yeah. Okay, so Zach, I heard that uh, DGC runs the 
best Christmas party in town. <laughs> we certainly do. Uh, yeah, if you're a member of the DGC, you get to come to this huge uh, Christmas party we do every year and lots of other exciting events. Um, you know, obviously there's important reasons to join the guild, but one of the benefits is all of the events that we do. Um, there's Christmas parties and parties at film festivals and all that type of stuff, but we also do a lot of um, sort of industry type events where we do mixers, we do uh, panels, we do training, we actually take directors down to events in LA, we run private sort of decision maker dinners and, uh, where we bring producers together and do meet your matches and kind of basically get our members in front of the people that hire them and get them to meet agents and that type of stuff to kind of accelerate their careers. Um, and we also do these great events called the Just Watch Us Chats, which we do once a month um, where we bring together directors and showrunners and basically kind of get them do a panel where people get to hear kind of learn from their knowledge to how to accelerate their career and some of those we partner with the PSP um, when we find showrunners who are both directors and writers and um, those have been hugely successful so keep an eye out for those amazing events wow, that, it's uh, like the DGC runs golden ticket to the best directing <laughs> events in town yeah Fantastic. So if people want to learn more about how they can become a member of the DGC, where do they go? Uh, well, they can check out this new site that we have called directors.ca, um, which is part of our Just Watch Us campaign. Or they can follow us at Just Watch DGC on Instagram and Facebook. I love it. All right. Thanks, Zach. No problem.